what to keep in mind while pursuing awakening. This also applies to people who have already gone through the initial shift in perception or shift in identity. These are all essentially the basics, but the basics are important at all stages of realization. And these are often things that I end up returning to and addressing with people in deeper stages of realization because we tend to lose sight of them. It really all comes down to the way the mind clouds our experience of reality or thoughts or our relationship with thoughts cloud our experience of reality. It tends to be somewhat insidious. It doesn't go away in one fell swoop with awakening. In fact, as my own Zen teacher used to say, your ego does not take awakening lying down. It tends to come back with a vengeance. So the basics are important to be able to return to at any time or be reminded of at any time to reorient your practice or reorient your insight, your understanding in the moment. So the number one thing to keep in mind when it comes to engaging the awakening process is it's non-conceptual. You've heard me say this many times, you'll hear me say it many more, but nothing about awakening has to do with understanding. Nothing about awakening has to do with holding the concepts in the right way or relating new concepts to old concepts. It has nothing to do with being able to describe your experience. I have people who, even in deeper stages of realization, even as non-dual experiences are starting to clarify, they'll still ask me like, what is this? How do I describe this? How would I label this? And usually at that point, it's pretty easy to remind them and they, they remember pretty quickly. But the tendency can be very strong in some people to want to explain their experience internally or to others to describe it. So always keep in mind, it's not conceptual. This plays into a couple of other sticking points for people. One is often we get into our head about say a practice or a certain experience we're having and we wanna know, is it this or is it that? Should I practice this way or should I practice that way? This thing that I'm experiencing, is it non-dual or is it non-conceptual? for instance. And this is a little stickier, but it's the same issue. There's a belief there and it's conceptual. The conceptual belief that's structuring your experience is, I have to know what to do here. I have to be able to figure out the right answer. What if you don't have to figure out anything? What if it's already right here? Everything you need is already right here. It's in the experience itself, it's not conceptual. The only decision to make is once you've bought into the belief that there's a decision to make. Once you believe the thoughts that say, I don't know, or I need to know what to do here. I need to know what decision to make. Once you believe that, yeah, it seems very much like there has to be an answer. You have to solve that problem, but it's a conceptual issue. So again, it's non-conceptual. It's all about 
immediate experience, essentially. Now, with any good rule, there are some exceptions. And I will say, in certain areas, when we're working in shadow work and so forth, it can be helpful to investigate beliefs at the level of beliefs sometimes with certain approaches and so forth. But generally speaking, getting to immediate, direct experience and letting that be exactly what it is, letting it teach you in its own language, so to speak, letting it clarify, letting it overtake the experience is never the wrong answer. So number one is it's non-conceptual. Number two is awakening or non-dual awakening or any other form of awakening or insight or level of insight or fetter that will break, whatever, however you approach this. It's never in the future. It's never in the future. So imagining when it'll happen, hoping it will happen, planning for it to happen, trying to force it to happen later, all of those will sort of lead you into issue number one, which is conceptuality. It's really right here. Everything you need is right here. Everything that will be revealed will be revealed in the immediate, in the experience you're already having. So it's already revealed. This is one of those that I think tends to annoy people because what often someone would say, and, and they're being completely honest, they're being authentic, they would say, okay, well, you say it's in my experience, but why don't I experience it? Why am I not aware of that right now? Why am I not feeling free? Why am I not feeling at peace, etc.? And I totally understand that. But the point I would make here is, it's not because it's not in your experience that you're not experiencing it. It's because there's something else going on. There's something else happening that's getting all of your attention or most of your attention. It's a distraction. The identified mind, the thought identified mind itself is nothing but a distraction, an endless distraction, a very good distraction. It's a very good magician that gets your attention, that redirects your attention here and there and here and there. Past and future, problem and solution, right? That's what it does all day long. That's what a good magician does is they're masters at directing your attention how they want to, getting you to see what they want you to see and not see what they don't want you to see. That's all that's happening. So it's an extra layer of processing and an extra layer of experience that's happening which itself includes that frustration that hearing this message saying it's already here, right? Going, oh, here's another teacher saying that. That's just bullshit, blah, 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 right? That's what the mind says. That itself is the distraction. That's the, that's the magician because it is right here. Absolutely 100% right here for everyone right now, including you. And it's not an it. It's not a truth that you can write out in a sentence. It's not a list of principles. It's not a doctrine, but enlightenment, the clearest possible experience, which itself is nothing but clarity, is already here. It's already in your experience. So returning to this principle can be helpful. 
and at deeper stages of realization, it becomes much more obvious, including um, the, the non-dual insights. Because the deeper this understanding that it's already here goes, the more you can relax. And with non-dual insights, there's a sort of relaxation that's required often, not always, but a subtlety to your, let's call it investigation, that's critical to clarify the nature of non-duality, the nature of zero distance, non-separation, formlessness. So at the conceptual level, we can just remind ourselves, okay, if I'm imagining the future, that's not it. If I'm thinking about how to cause it, that's not it. If I'm thinking about which teacher has the best teaching, I'm in my head right now, right? It's not about any of that. It's about something more immediate, more here, more, let's call it all encompassing. It is all of those thoughts, but it's what the thoughts are made of. And it's the consciousness in which those thoughts appear to be expressing. And it's that one that is the consciousness or that one that is you experiencing all of it. All of that is seamlessly one, let's say. That's the initial way that this insight lands, that there is nowhere to go. It's already here. You are already here. Everything you need is already here. Every thought you have about the past, present, and future are just made out of something that's always here and can take any form called consciousness. And then as it goes deeper, it becomes more of a physiologic thing or a somatic thing that we learn there's nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing to cause, nothing to force. Resistance is useless. Force is useless. Control is useless. So we relax. We relax into what's already here. We can relax into the visual field in all sense fields. And as we relax into them, they start to replace us. So number two is it's already here. It's not somewhere else, not in the future. Everything you need is here. You don't need to add anything to your experience. You don't need to understand anything. Number three, some form of engagement or practice is necessary. And I think self-inquiry or inquiry of some sort is the key. This is a tricky one because some way of pointing, some ways of pointing that can be very potent and not inaccurate, will say trying to get somewhere, trying to become something, trying to seek some ideal state called enlightenment itself is part of the problem. And it is reference number one and number two. At the same time, it's very easy to hear that from someone who has very clear experience when you don't and turn that into a principle. I see it all the time. Someone who doesn't have true insight, but they will tell people all the time, oh, there's nothing to do, there's no one to practice, there's nowhere to go, there's, you know. That can be uh, a different kind of fixation. It's still a doing type of fixation, it's a seeking sort of fixation, but in reverse. You're fixating in non-doing, you're fixating in disengagement almost like a dissociation, a holding back, a hesitation from life, not just from practice, but from life. 
So some form of engagement in practice. And by the way, anyone who speaks that way says there's no one there. There's nothing to do. The seeker can't find its own um, end, really. It may end, but the seeking isn't going to cause it, right? Which is true. Um, but anyone who speaks that way, I promise you, they've all done a lot of practices, work, inquiry of various types. Yeah. In the past. So just be aware of that. Um, some form of engagement in this process. Acknowledgement, leaning in, inquiry into what is actually happening here? Who am I? What am I taking myself to be right now? What is the experience of being me right now? Go there. Again, don't think about it. Like go back to number one. Don't think about it, don't conceptualize, but find it. Move your attention into the sense of being you right now. How is that? Where is that? Go there. Stay there. Stop there. See that there is only there. Yeah. These kinds of engagements, practices, very powerful. Using a koan that just cuts through all of the conceptual BS. Like, what is mu? Very powerful. Because it, it can't be conceptual. There's nothing conceptual about it. It's like a knife, a sword. Yeah, so you can say if you practice correctly, these are practiceless practices or practices that don't lead to seeking, grasping, conceptuality. So that's number three. Some sort of engagement in practice is usually necessary and helpful. Even for people who have had truly spontaneous awakenings and I've seen it, like completely out of the blue, even then, it's usually not advisable to kind of fight the process afterward, saying, I don't want to do anything. Most of the time you find that some active engagement in shadow work and uh, investigating what's actually going on within you <laughs> is, is advisable. And really pushing that away can be extremely painful. Pushing away the acknowledgement of the process that is happening, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So I think number three holds even for, for people like that. Number four, doubt is just a thought. This is particularly important before awakening. We don't realize, but our entire processing system, the default mode network, all those thoughts, all those self-referential thoughts, all of that, all the blah, blah, blah of the mind, including how the mind starts to seek, seeking even awakening, but seeking it in sort of the wrong way, seeking it conceptually, seeking it through validation, seeking it with this feeling that I, I don't get it, someone else understands I, something I don't, or these people get these experiences of awakening, I don't get them, right? That kind of hurt, sort of frustrated, jealous, or whatever, right? That happens, it definitely comes into play. But even that, all of that, is really doubt. It's just a form of doubt, yeah? But how identified are you with that? It's okay to have the thoughts, right, of course. And they're not really that binding if you see them as thoughts. When you really feel like that's true, these people do have something I don't have. I really can't find the way here. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't work hard enough. Whatever the thoughts are, if you believe those, they come pretty. They become pretty solidifying. Like as in number two, that the, the magician finds a really good trick to keep you distracted. You know here, but it's still just a trick. It's still just a thought. One single thought. The doubt that says, I don't know what enlightenment is. I don't know what awakening is. 
I don't know how to do this, I'm not good enough, I'm not whatever. One thought, it's a doubt thought. But again, we're so identified with doubt, the flavor of doubt, the texture of doubt, that it's easy to buy into that. It's easy to not see that's a thought. It feels like you. This is why I say when awakening happens, it's a shift from something that feels very small and enclosed and uncomfortable to something very different than that, right? It's because we're identifying with doubt and suddenly it drops. What would it be like to live without doubt or constant doubt or identifying with doubt? Yeah? So number four, doubt is just a thought, but it's very pervasive before an initial awakening usually. Certainly was for me. It's always such a surprise when the shift happens. People just say, man, I, I guess I just didn't think I deserved it or didn't think it was possible for me. I thought other people could, you know, whatever. But it's a very innocent place. It's not like, oh, I figured it out. You know, not everyone else did, but I figured it out. Not at all. It's, it's that whole apparatus of I'm better than others or I'm worse than others. That whole thing, it's all based in doubt. It just drops. And you feel this like complete innocence and purity of experience and simplicity and a release. And it feels so nice because it's so obviously just the way it is for you and for everyone else. Yeah. So that doubt, that's, that's number four. Okay. Doubt is always a thought. Look into your experience, look into your, your mental landscape rather than your experience for this. See how those beliefs and thoughts are really kind of shrouded with doubt or, or intertwined with a, a sort of feeling of doubt. That's not who you are. It's not what you are. But a lot of us have been very identified with it. I definitely was, probably more than most. So much self-consciousness and self-doubt because of just the way I grew up, really. Um, but it, again, it's one thought. It doesn't matter if there's, you know, a ton of it or just a little bit of it. It's still just one thought. And when it drops, it drops. So that's number four. Number five. I had a moment where I couldn't really figure out how to word number five, how to put it into words. Um, there's a couple of ways I, I thought of saying it that are very related, but they sound quite different. One is use your resources. And the other side of that coin is uh, beware of the cleverness of ego. Um, it's very clever. The ego, the collective ego, it knows you better than you know yourself. It's ancient. It's, it knows how to sneak up on you. It knows where to hurt you. It knows where you are weak. It knows what you're susceptible to, right? And I'm really personifying something that's not some evil entity, but you definitely develop a respect for this over time. It's very, like I said, insidious, um, powerful, and it's collective. It doesn't just live like in use, like some homunculus. It's among humans in human consciousness. It affects the ways we communicate with one another. It affects the types of relationships we form. It affects everything in human interaction. So have a healthy regard for that. Um, and again, the other side is use your resources. What I mean by this is I'll often see people who get quote unquote stuck or they perceive themselves as quite stuck. I've done this for so many years. I've done this for so long. I've meditated, I've done this, this, and this. Um, but they often are overlooking one thing they can do. Maybe the one thing they don't wanna do. In fact, it's often the one thing they don't wanna do and I've heard this from people. I don't need to go on retreat. I, don't, I just don't need, it's just something I don't need, right? But you know, if you 
well, I have. I've interacted with people sometimes in, the, in that way, and I can feel that whole fixation around that, right? They, there's something they don't want to let go of there. They don't want to, I don't know, be the small fish in the big pond or whatever it is. There's something their ego wants to stay intact, and that's a very threatening environment. Now, of course, some people can't afford to go on an in-person retreat, but anyone can report, afford to go on an online retreat, um, at least mine, because you can do it for essentially free if you have no money. So um, you can also structure your own retreat, right? So don't let your mind give you excuses about this either. So yeah, often it'll be something like that. Like, hey, have you tried retreat? Well, no, I haven't really done that, but okay, well, maybe try that. Or have you worked one-on-one -on -one with a non-dual facilitator, someone who has definitely walked this path before you, has gone through these shifts in identity, they often, in a very potent way, can blow you open, right? Um, that's another thing to consider. So there are resources out there. Try different teachers, try different videos, try different techniques or practices or environments, right? What is it you're avoiding if, if you are? Um, sometimes that can be really helpful if you feel stuck. So that's the number five thing. It's like, use your resources, but be cautious of, uh, or have some respect for the sneakiness of our own egos that will often talk us out of using certain resources just because whatever. Um, that's often the key. So sometimes you have to get creative. You have to get leverage on yourself. You have to use resources outside of you, your own ego and the way you put everything together in your life. You may need something from the outside to crack that open. So that's number five. So there are many other things I could list as far as what to keep in mind, but I think these are pretty good uh, foundational principles that are more than principles if you really utilize them in the way I described here, more like catalysts, but they're important and they're important into deeper stages of realization. So I hope this was helpful.